0: Welcome back to A Gift from Adversity. My name is Julie Love. I'm your host. Thank you so much for tuning in to our episode 24. I'm very excited to have another show tonight. Before I invite my guest, I want to introduce my book. It's A Gift from Adversity. And it's subtitled Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness. And this book came in 2020, October, and it became Amazon number one new release in three different categories. And after I published my book, I felt very compelled to create a platform where people can talk about adversity and tools that they use to overcome and also a gift that came from it. The reason is After I published my book, a lot of people contacted me and told me about their adversity. And sometimes in the middle of the crisis, some people reached out to me. And I really felt that especially adversity and the mental health around this topic, sometimes there's a stigma that I wanted to get rid of. And I wanted to create a safe space where people from all over can talk and learn from each other and empower each other. I'm very happy to have a wonderful guest tonight. His name is Thomas Edwards Jr. So let's invite him. Hi, Thomas. Thank you Hi, so Julie. much for my show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. So, Thomas, can you tell our audience who you are and what you do?
1: Yes, so like Julie said, I am Thomas Edwards, Jr. Um, I'm actually a playfulness coach. Um, And so what that means is I work with a lot of top performers who have families and, and lots of other responsibilities, learn how to reduce their stress, to eliminate burnout from their lives, and learn how to have more fun while still creating success in multiple areas of their lives, including health, their wealth, their inner self their family, their marriage, their business and their career. Um, and by using playfulness as what I believe a, a really effective and uh, significant level of mindfulness that allows us to really maximize the experience of life and be able to enjoy it as well.
0: Well, great, thank you. And now, uh, where can people find out your information? Do you have a website or do you have social media?
1: Yeah, so if you want to learn more about that and learn more about me, you can go to thomasedwardsjr.com. So that's thomasedwardsjr.com. And you can find me across most social media sites under Thomas H. Edwards Jr.
0: Thomas. So I just posted on the comment thomasedwardsjr.com. And then people can follow his website. And his activities and stuff. And then if people ask some questions, feel free to comment on here and I will have the interaction with the audience. So Thomas, thank you so much for being here tonight and agreeing to share your adversity. So let's dive into our main topic, which is the adversity. So can you tell our audience what was your adversity?
1: Yes. And feel free to jump in at any moment. Uh, it's it's quite a story, and sometimes I can get really into it because it, it's such a significant part of my life. But feel free to jump in at any time. So, you know, I, I grew up. Uh, I'm a first generation American born. My family is originally from Jamaica, and when you know, I was also the the youngest, and so I was pretty much considered the golden child. You know, um, it was a lot of a lot of hope on me being able to be American and have a lot of access to resources that my family didn't have previously. And if anyone is listening and they're coming from uh, an immigrant household, then you'll probably recognize this program that was taught to me, which was to work really hard in school, get an education, get a job, make money, save money so you can buy a house. Don't don't buy things that you don't need. And then when you get that house and you get that job, then then you can live your life. <laughs> and I took that on a lot when I was as a kid. And while I did do well in school, I was, I was bullied a lot. And I would try to come home and try to talk to my parents about it. And uh, I don't think they meant any ill will by it, but they were pretty dismissive of it. You know, they're were, they were saying, hey, just don't worry about that. Focus on your education. But The problem was I had to go back and, you know, deal with the bullying almost every single day. And eventually I just got tired of being Hung on the coat rack, so to speak. Uh, and I tried to be cool, could never be cool enough. So I was never accepted by the cool kids. And then my attempts to being, for being cool uh, weren't liked by the, the nerds or the geeks. And so I ended up finding myself alone, you know, not having a sense of belonging. And that carried itself through grade school. And then started to have feelings and emotions and girls were you know, on my mind and, and things really <laughs> unraveled for me. Uh, I was considering myself a, a hopeless romantic. And in some ways it's great, but as a kid uh, without having any guidance, it was relatively unhealthy because I was sacrificing my identity and who I was to make the other person happy. And while that might seem like that's a great thing, uh, they did not see it as such. You know, they lost interest in me very quickly and a lot of my relationships ended either being dumped Uh, or cheated on, or some level of humiliation that was hard to recover from. And eventually, I thought I found the one, and I did something very similar, and she ended up cheating on me a week before I was going to propose. And that uh, threw me for a loop, and I I promised myself that I would never let this happen again. And this, this opened up the world of personal development for me. I wanted to find out what was I doing wrong and how can I fix it? So uh, the first book I came across was Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Great book, uh, taught me a lot about how to communicate and ask for what I want and to create a very healthy, um, mutual, be- mutually beneficial relationship with people. And that I caught the bug after that. I got really into personal development, read all different types of books, all different types of topics, whether it was fitness, nutrition, uh, fashion, lifestyle, social skills, dating, um, the whole thing. And my life did incrementally get better. And meanwhile, I, I actually wanted to make video games for a living. I wanted to be specifically a video game producer uh, for Sony Entertainment in, in Japan, in Tokyo. And that was my goal. And when I graduated, Uh, I was hit with the the job market and there weren't really many jobs available at the time because the video game industry was going through a a major transition. So I ended up working in a hotel and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I was hearing ideas online about how you can turn your passion, something you care about, into a business. And so as much as I loved video games, that wasn't available to me at the time. And so the second thing that I was passionate about was personal development. And I realized I was pretty good. Uh, at the the social part, I was able to really go in and create really great connections with people, whether it's for platonic, uh, professional or romantic purposes. And I had a feeling that there was a need for something like that. And uh, I'm going to fast forward a little bit, but then I came up with the, the idea of becoming a professional wingman. And so what is a professional wingman? Well, I, as the professional wingman, would go out with you to social venues and I would show you how to create connections with people in person. And I would give you feedback on what was preventing you from making those connections happen. Uh, the focus was particularly on romantic connections for the purpose of a long-term relationship. And so uh, in a short period of time when I saw that, when I created that, uh, it, it caught people caught wind of what I was doing and I ended up being in a lot of press and I became very popular in a short period of time. I mean, I went from, I remember I was working with a few clients in Boston, that's where I grew up, and, uh, and my first, you know, meet my first public media mention was in the Wall Street Journal, and it happened to be in a very, very popular shared and read article, and I ended up, you know, waking up that morning <laughs> to my mom telling me that she was reading about her, reading about me, her neighbor was reading about me in the Wall Street Journal, and I Went from working with three clients in Boston to now servicing clients all around the world. I mean, we're talking Sierra Leone, Shanghai, uh, Miami, uh, Africa, and down in Kenya, uh, in Europe, in London, uh, LA, San Francisco. I mean, it was, it, it grew really fast and it didn't stop. And so I rode the wave, you know, I, I really worked hard to be the best at what I did and I created a lot of great results. I mean, the business itself is responsible for nearly 400 marriages and engagements to this day. Um, you know, tons of relationships, and and I was having fun. And I remember hitting my my peak. You know, the defining moment for me was when I was on the Steve Harvey show, and I was on there, and I did a really good job. You know, even he was impressed of how I showed up and and really, uh, you know, kind of wowed the crowd and. I remember celebrating my friends after I did that show and I thought to myself, wow, like I, I am the best, you know, I'm, I'm living this amazing life. Clients are flying me around the world. Uh, you know, I'm making lots of money. Uh, my parents are proud of me, even though they don't really understand what I was doing. I didn't, they didn't understand what I was doing at the time. And I have everything that I want. And after I had acknowledged all that, there was this, unexpected emptiness that uh, came over me. You know, I didn't know really what it was, but it scared me a lot because it just really felt empty. It felt like everything that I was doing was not of my own purpose. It was for someone else. It was either for my parents or to try to impress a a woman or uh, to have more friends and to be loved and praised and all these things. It was such a desire for external validation. And after getting all those things, why was I feeling empty? I didn't understand that. And uh, I didn't come from a place where we talked a lot about our feelings or even know how to even bring up the topic, you know? And so I didn't want to feel this anymore because I was in the middle of a party. And so I went back and just drank and drank and drank to forget about it. And um, while I did forget about it that night, I woke up with the same feeling of just emptiness, no purpose, no direction, not knowing what to do. And that carried over for quite a few years. I ended up just falling into a descent of depression. And then alcohol became more of a prominent, played a pro- more of a prominent role in my life. And then I surrounded myself with, uh, you know, people who weren't for my highest good, you know. Uh, and, and then I ended up being around drugs. And it just got to a place where, you know, I was just abusive to myself. and and uh, not really caring about anything really. Cause I was just so, I was feeling so demoralized and just sad about my life. Um, and it really impacted a lot of things. I mean, in that time I, you know, found the love of my life. We got married, um, you know, I, we moved from New York to LA and then I find out that she's pregnant. And I always call that day the best worst day of my life because I remember uh, it was the best day because I've always wanted to be a dad from as long as I can remember. Even in my teen years, I knew that my life was meant to be a dad. And so I was super happy and excited about that. And then the worst part of it was that that this identity of the wingman that I had created for myself for so long, clinging on to it, thinking that was going to be the key to my happiness and eternal life. <laughs> um, it died that day. It really did. And I didn't know how to handle that because I just wasn't equipped to handle emotions really well at all if any if any and that just accelerated things um it just i ended up actively mourning the death of that identity for the next year and a half and just continued to struggle in my relationships with um you know i i was very fortunate that the business at least my clients didn't suffer from what i was going through Um, but in terms of just how I was behaving on the back end of the business. I mean, it was, it was miserable and, and I wasn't taking care of my body. Um, I mean, I had a couple of close calls, um, just with over drinking or just over being, being overstimulated with drugs. I mean, it wasn't the, the only timeline at at the time that it was headed towards was really just me dying. Um, you know, and, it ended up where my wife came out of the bedroom one day and said, you know, I love you. And this is not the the marriage that I want to be in. You know, something needs to change inside of our marriage or I have to make a change. And I remember the way that she had worded it. I'm paraphrasing what she said. She said a lot of other things, (laughs) but uh, I'm paraphrasing because she didn't, she made a point not to blame me or point the finger at me as if I was the problem. But the way I internalized it, I knew that I was the problem, you know, something, needed to to change. And I realized in that moment, as as much as I knew and as much as I did to get to where I was, I still ended up in this really deep, dark place um, that was just, I mean, my life was just burning, you know, burning down around me. And I knew at that moment that these same pieces of knowledge and experience and whatever I knew wasn't going to be enough to, you know, uh, get out of the pit that I was in. And I was reaching a climax. I mean, I reached a, a climax where I, I just didn't know what else I could do on my own to better the situation for myself. And it was the first time where I just realized that I can't do this alone anymore. Uh, you know, and I decided I was going to pursue help. And very similarly to that day, way back when, when I got the bug of personal development after reading the you know, seven habits of highly effective people, the same thing happened. I went all in on just receiving support, you know, so, cause I'm an all in kind of guy. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I got, you know, one therapist, personal therapist, I had a couples therapist, I had a psychiatrist, I had a doctor who specialized in addiction. I had, um, my own personal coach in my life. I did, uh, various weekend, uh, workshops and retreats. Um, and they all helped my life in some way, but every three months or so, uh, I would be triggered by something. I don't even remember. I wouldn't even remember what it was, but I'd be triggered, and all of a sudden, I just have an episode where maybe I go out and I drink myself into oblivion, and, and not come back until you know the wee hours of the morning, or just any type of just irresponsible, irrational behavior. You know, and I didn't understand what was going on, and it went on for. About another another year until um, you know, there was one night I was gonna go meet up with the client to work with them. and at this point, I was not happy with uh, my job inside of the business that I was doing. You know I loved the I loved the results that my clients were doing, and I, I just didn't want to be a part of it. I felt so disconnected from what I was doing. and before I went outside, I opened the door and I felt like, the wind <laughs> closed the door shut. And I said to my wife, you know, I have, I have a weird feeling. I feel like I shouldn't go out. And she said, just go, you know, it's okay. Like, just go and come back, do your job and come back. And I remember agreeing to that and going out. And, I, and I, when I went into a bar to meet with my client that's where I met with them, uh, before I even had a drink, I blacked out. I, I, don't, I do not remember various moments of the night um, I do have moments of remembering that there was some drinking and socializing and some drugging and and it just was a, a very bad situation because when I actually came to some level of consciousness, I was standing outside my apartment and it was about 6 am and I had already had an agreement, a boundary was placed between my wife and I that if you know if I were to come home that late or early in the morning that I wasn't welcome in the house and so bless her heart she she held that boundary and said you cannot come back in here and so I was a complete mess distraught and took myself right to the bar again and repeated the same thing you know just making an absolute joke of myself and uh, fortunately I had you know a couple friends around me who just took care of me and and just held space and um, I tried to get back into the house that did not go well at all and then I really blacked out just based on my own consumption of substances. And I do believe that in that that period of time when I blacked out and when I woke up uh, that next day, uh, January 14th, 2019, that a higher power came in and said, you know, you're you're done. You know, it's time to wake up. And I remember waking up, ironically, in darkness. um, I was freaking out because I didn't know where I was, who I was with, or what I did. Um, and so I just went back to sleep because I was hoping that maybe if it's daylight, I can see what's going on. And I ended up at a hotel around the corner from my house. But I, when I walked out of that hotel, it was a street that I had been on hundreds of times before. But this time I just didn't recognize it. Not because like I was hungover, but it was because I was looking through a different lens of my life, realizing that I hadn't lived in this world before. I haven't lived in this experience where escapism is not an option, you know, that that drugs and alcohol were not an option. I like to compare it to the movie The Matrix. So if anyone's seen The Matrix, the first one, there's a scene where, you know, after uh, Neo gets unplugged and he's in the real world and they're working on his body. He asks Morpheus, you know, why do my eyes hurt? And Morpheus says, you have, you've never used them before. That's what it felt like for me. I felt like I was using my eyes for the first time to see a world that I did not recognize, and knew that there were different rules in this game and in this world that I had to play by, and I was scared. Um, and then I worked my way back into the house after a few days, um, and then I started to go back and see my therapist just to kind of see like well, what happened here. Like I need to understand, and eventually it just got to the point where you know my life. When you know drugs and alcohol were not in the picture, my life worked. And then when it was, it wasn't working. And it, it just took me that long to realize the truth, which is that, you know, I can't have those things in my life. I have to stop escaping. And I have to start living by a different set of rules that allows me to face life on life's terms and to to allow myself to process and handle emotions like any other human person. And that's when I end up finding you know, a spiritual recovery program. And, you know, the way I, the way I think about, you know, recovery and spirituality, in that, and I believe too, they're, they're, they're similar, if not the same, but it's like, if I'm holding, this is gonna be really funny because this is my daughter's cup, but let's say this is a, <laughs> this is a cup of a uh, hot coffee, right? And the coffee represents all the information, the tools, the resources I had been given by my therapists, by my coaches, by people that I worked with, mentors, uh, family members, friends who really supported me and had the best wishes. And they, it was here. And this, this top represents my, my desire to escape life, right? And you know, the drugs and alcohol I realized were just a symptom. That was just a, an external behavior of, of a deeper issue, which was I couldn't handle my emotions. So I wanted to escape them. And um, so this represented the escapism. And as soon as uh, I was able to adopt the spiritual recovery program, it was like the cover just came off. And all the steam and all the heat was released. And all those things that I learned in, in, in that time that would work for a few months be- and then just die out, it stayed. It stuck. And so my life incrementally got better and then it stayed getting better. And that was really exciting because I was able to be more present as, as a husband, as a father, as a business person, as a friend, a son, uncle, uh, cousin. I mean, there was all these things, all these roles that I played that were important, I was able to be present for. And after a few months, things were, were better, but I still felt like something was, was missing. And I didn't know what it was for a little bit. So I sat down and meditated on it. And I realized that I wasn't enjoying any of this. You know, like I, I there's a lot of obligations I have in my life that I created. I was very aware that, that I create these responsibilities, you know, and so I'm not making excuses for that. But don't I get to enjoy this? <laughs> how can I how can I do this in a way where I get to have fun? And I'm not forcing myself. And so I spent decided to spend the next bit of time figuring out, like, what was For me, what allowed me to connect to that part of me that has been dormant for so long, and it made me realize that I had suppressed video games in my life for for the better part of a decade, and didn't allow myself to play because I thought, well, I was convinced that you know, being an entrepreneur, being a wingman, having all these other responsibilities, I didn't have time to play video games, or uh, I'm too old to play video games, or I'm too, you know, that's immature behavior to be playing video games. I just took all those programs that other people were saying about video games and adopted them as my own. So I finally decided to play video games again. And I remember picking up the controller and I almost like teleported back to when I was, uh, you know, a teenager. I was probably 13 or 14 playing video games. And I remember just having so much fun, so much freedom and uh, able to, you know, express myself and, and be true to myself and be creative and, and have that little bit of a competitive spirit, but having fun this whole time. And I realized that video games had never been an escape hatch for me. I never used video games to escape life. For me, it was such a great experience because I felt like I could truly be myself. And I was also able to connect with other people who loved gaming and I was able to build friendships that way too. And so I knew that I wanted to keep this feeling. And so I found a way to do it by uh, pursuing a dream that I had in college, which uh, was to become a professional a gamer. I wanted to be. These days they call it an esports athlete, but that was what I wanted to do. So I allowed myself the chance to do that. Um, I ended up playing uh, a fighting game called Tekken. Tekken Seven. For those of you who might want to who are curious to know, and I entered a tournament. Um, and it was a pretty big tournament. It was sponsored by Red Bull. And I trained, and then I ended up showing up. And I went, when I went into this esports arena. I mean, it felt like I was surrounded by my people. I felt an immediate sense of belonging. Uh, and I didn't know anybody there except for my friend who came from moral support. But I talked with so many people. I connected with them. Uh, I really just explored. And I was curious. And I asked questions. And I, and I wasn't scared. I was just completely myself. And I didn't even have the right controller to play in the tournament. I had to borrow my friend's controller. Um, that's how new to the scene I was. And um you know when the tournament was done uh, i ended up doing pretty well for a first timer i came in 33rd out of about 120 people which was awesome uh but more importantly like i had so much fun i mean the kind of fun that i hadn't experienced in years and you know i was going to to dinner with my buddy and i was telling him man i wish my entire life was like this experience <laughs> where, where i can just have fun uh you know, making a choice to, to have fun and to train and enjoy the training and the journey towards, you know, a tournament or some kind or some type of goal and, and not even care so much about the goal, but to really appreciate and have fun in the experience. Like I wish my life was like a game. And that's when a light bulb hit and I said, wow, like why couldn't I make life a game? So I went back home and I looked back at this. Uh, I have a second version of this, but this is a journal that I write into almost every day. I went back and i looked at all the things that i learned all the tools and the resources i learned from my mentors and my coaches and my therapists and i thought to myself there's a really amazing holistic methodology here thanks to my willingness to like take on you know to to take on others perspectives um and i realized i could use my academic knowledge as you know my original aspiration to be a video game producer and create a really cool experience where people can have fun enjoying the process of bettering themselves, right? Enjoy the process of their own personal growth. And I thought about what I could call it that could be really approachable that anyone could understand. And I was thinking back to uh, Super Mario Brothers, the first one for, you know, the original Nintendo. And when you first start playing, you know, you're little Mario, the timer's running, you're probably on your last life. And it just becomes this anxiety, stress-induced experience because you don't want to die. You just want to survive and get to the end of the level so you can play it again. And I find that such an amazing analogy, an accurate analogy for life, where so many of us, including myself at one point, was just trying to survive, doing anything at any cost because we just didn't want to die. And to do that every single day. And I also saw that there's a moment when you get your first green mushroom, you know, that represents the extra life, the the one up and your psychology in that moment completely changes because instead of thinking about scarcity and survival, you're thinking about exploration and abundance. You're thinking about taking risks. You're willing to face challenges. You're willing to be curious about things because listen, if, if Mario dies, that's okay. You have an extra life and you have feedback. And I think the thing that brings us all together is that when you're playing a game, you're having fun. So you're willing to try again until you get it. And then when you get it, that level of fulfillment is what really what I, I believe people are, are looking to experience, that level of fulfillment of being able to get to the next, next level. And um, yeah, I, I remember hearing the quote with the former CEO of Nintendo. He, he said, you know, games were never designed for us to win. They were designed for us to have fun. And when I heard that, I was like, wow, that's an amazing effect that one green mushroom can have on on your whole experience. And I thought that's a cool name, the one-up effect. And so it it made it very clear to me what my purpose is in life. And that's to show people that they can have fun and be successful. You know, They can make their lives a game that they can win and have fun playing. And and more, more importantly, Success does not breed happiness, at least not for me. My story did not, I thought it did. <laughs> I think my parents thought it did, um, but it didn't. You know, and, and I'm able to be here today and, and be more successful than I ever have been. And it's because I'm happy. And I really do believe that happiness is the true gateway to people's greatest success. And so um, that is my story of, of adversity.
0: So I know it was your life and then adversity part of it, but just to bring back to the adversity part and also the tool. So my show consists with first question, which was the adversity part. And then Mm -hmm. the second is the tools that you use to overcome it. And a gift that came from it. And I felt like you kind of included a lot of things already in your story. But to just break it down, your major adversity, I would say, by listening to you, was maybe the void and not tending to the mental health issue at young age that led to the void and also the addictions and the emptiness. However, you had some success with the business. Yeah. Yeah. Agree? Yeah.
1: I mean, the, the, the adversity for me was being able to handle... The emotions that come from life and life's experiences. You know, I didn't know how to handle myself appropriately when things were great. And I didn't know how to handle myself appropriately when things were not great. And I tried to make it look like I did from the outside, but internally I was a complete mess and I couldn't handle it. And so my initial, my instinct is to want to escape, to run away from it, whether it's physically emotionally, mentally, but do something so that I don't have to feel the pain of not knowing what to do, not knowing how to handle it. And whenever, and because of my lifestyle at the time where I was constantly going out and socializing and working with my clients, it just became, it just got too easy to have the access of, of alcohol there for me to fuel the, the escapism. And then it became something I was dependent on to allow me to escape. You know, and so it it was a gradual, it was a progression that took place over time that really cemented that. Wow, like I, you know, I'm really abusive. This is a, this is an addiction. This is a problem that I'm having because I'm not willing to uh, be present with what's going on with me and being able to like stay in it. I was always looking to to run out.
0: So I would say a lot of us that went through extreme trauma, bullying. Um, not not having access to the mental health, not being addressed at right time. My case, for instance, was the sexual abuse that I experienced in Japan where there was no talk about it. There's no word for the abuse, no word for the incest, no word for uh, PTSD. There was absolutely nothing that was available and nobody really knew what was going on. And that created a lifelong void for me and then that led to like some of the addiction that I experienced. Now, how did you realize that you were actually in this crisis of maybe mental health or addiction? Because some of ta- sometimes, a lot of times, a lot of people don't even realize that they are addicted to these substances and then the void, and then they just are uh, in the middle of storm that you don't even know that you are inside of the storm until... Mm-hmm. If- when, like, how did you realize that you were in this middle of a storm?
1: Yeah, I, I actually knew for a while that I was struggling. Um, the, the problem was I wasn't willing to be, like, overt about it. I, I wasn't willing to acknowledge it because I, I thought it would be so damaging to my identity. I thought that people would, would think differently of me, look upon me differently. My wife would want to leave me because I'd have this story that maybe I'm not as much of a man because I'm scared, you know, um, but this was looming over me and it was the dark cloud was just getting bigger and bigger. And I saw, it. I knew that the storm was coming. I knew that eventually I was in the storm. And I, I believe for me, it was a combination of that awareness um and a moment of desperation because i think for me when there's a there was a significant chance that i could have lost my family and that desperation combined with the, the awareness of that this this was this destructive behavior was happening and only going to get worse only get worse that was when the the opportunity to look at what I could do opened up. And when I was desperate in that place of desperation, and I I consider myself a very well-versed person, a very intelligent person. So being in that place where, regardless of how much information I knew, how much knowledge, how much experience that I had, that I did not have the solution. Like I did not know what to do that freaked me out and that's what made me realize okay like i need to i need to seek some external help external support
0: i see well thank you so much for sharing that and then i know it's not an easy topic to talk about and i really appreciate you being brave and publicly speaking about this and then to share um because i think the whole point of this show is that people would realize that I am not alone in this. And then I heard Julian Thomas speak about this and that I'm not crazy. This is just a nature of human brain and how it kind of manifests these things. Now, I want to move to the tools that you use to overcome. I know you mentioned the seven habits and then, you know, seek therapist and then life coach, all that things. But out of all these things that you've tried, what would you say that worked the best for your adversity?
1: I can share a lot of things. I mean, uh, the first thing I would say that speaks to what helped me the most was, was having a a spiritual layer over how I, how I showed up in life. Um, most of my life I lived under my will, you know, I I was in control or I thought I was in control of of my life and I wanted to control people. I wanted to control the environment. I wanted to control the things that were coming in and out of my life. I mean, I was so obsessed with control because I was afraid if I didn't have control, that I would lose something, you know, or I'd be exposed. It, it It was some fear that maybe I wouldn't be enough. And, when I actually was able to create a connection and a relationship with a higher power, my higher power, my understanding, it changed everything. It made me realize that I don't have to do this alone. That my my willpower is finite. You know, at some point, I'm not going to have the willpower, or at least enough willpower, to try to overcome things myself, and. If that runs out, which it did happen in the past, now it made sense why my behavior was was so erratic because there'd be moments where I'd have all this willpower and then there'll be moments where I'd have none. And when you don't have willpower, it's very difficult for you to make decisions that you otherwise would make. It's very difficult to try to overcome any challenges whether big or small that you have in your life. I mean, there might even be days where you can't even get out of bed because you don't have that willpower. And when your willpower is that low, that's when you're susceptible to a lot of vulnerabilities. That's where I was, you know, I was, it was a lot easier for me to want to escape because I was vulnerable to escapism. I didn't have the willpower to overcome that. So when I was able to place that faith and that trust in a power greater than myself, then I was able to just sit back and witness and listen to a voice, the voice to guide me in a direction that only that higher power could come up with because my willpower was not enough you know and um i would say that is what i carry into everything that i do is that trust and that reliance on a power greater than my own you know and and i'm not talking about like god it could be god for someone but for me it's, it's just um if for, you know for anyone else who's listening out there it's it's really just a power of your understanding that you know is greater than your own and so for me that has been a huge thing and then right underneath that it was something that my psychiatrist had said because when i went there you know he had diagnosed me with um, persistent depressive disorder which uh, or it's, it's also called double depression and basically what that means is you know you're in a you're in a persistent depressive state for uh, you know, a minimum of two years or up to two, it was around two years, you know, and I wasn't even aware that this was going on. Right. And of course, my alcohol, my alcoholism was fueling that. And he said, you know, when you're also in this state, oftentimes your baseline of happiness or just contentment may be lower than the average person. And so you may be content, but that to others, that may seem like you're, you're sad or you're just more ho hum, so to speak. Um, and that having that awareness at first, Freaked me out because I wasn't sure how to do with that, and, and when I'm seeing, and I never had seen a psychiatrist at the beginning before, and so my mind immediately was thinking, oh, am I gonna have to be on medication. And then he he asked me, he's like, "Do you want to be on medication?" <laughs> and, and I wasn't ready for that that question, but when he asked me, I said, "No, I mean, I, I don't." And he said, "Well, you don't have to be. You can make you can make changes in your life before it has to become medicinal." And he taught me that, you know, when you're looking to make change in your life. Any type of change, it starts with your lifestyle. Can you make any lifestyle changes in your life that can that can make things better? And then if that's something that you know you have difficulty doing or something that you want to have extra support, then you do therapeutic support, right? Seeing a therapist. And it doesn't have to even be a, a therapist. I think you could just have any type of support circle where you can go to them and share yourself completely like open right, and vulnerable, knowing that you're not going to be judged, that they're there to hold space and listen and to love and accept all of who you are. Just being able to have access to that space is so vital. And it says, if those things don't work, then we can talk about the medicinal, uh, you know, shifts that you can take. Fortunately for me, I never had to get to that point. It was all lifestyle and therapeutic. And so anytime I go through any changes in my life, or if I feel a sense of unhappiness or dissatisfaction or just conflict, those are the two places I go to. Is it is, is a lifestyle change that needs to happen or do I need to process something internally that can, that needs to be released and healed that can allow me to, to move forward to the to the next level?
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing that. So the reason why I ask these questions uh, as a survivor myself of these adversities, that we strive, struggle and try to always seek some ways to heal ourselves and help ourselves and I have tried all sorts of modality I was on a podcast interview this afternoon from Spain and I was sharing all this modality that worked or didn't work or maybe I've tried like from you know therapy yoga acupuncture you know, anything that you can think of, EMDR. Mm -hmm. But sharing these tools, my hope is that our listeners or people who might resonate these messages, that it's not coming from YouTube. It's not coming from psychiatry. It's coming from us as a survivor that some of the tools that truly worked to get through this. yeah, And that's why... This, um sharing the toolbox is very important.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, and just to go, a, you know, a little bit deeper, cause I really did just, you know, hit the surface of like lifestyle and therapeutic. Like, what does that, what does that even look like? Right. You know, for me, when I think about lifestyle, I think about, uh, you know, my wellness. So my physical, my mental, and then my spiritual wellness, you know, can I make some changes or adjustments or upgrades or opt, you know, um, or I can can I optimize those things, you know? So it could be, and I make changes all the time because I'm always looking to see if there's another level for me to experience more out of life. Not because I'm dissatisfied with where I'm at. I just know that for me, like the experience of growing is what's so fulfilling for me. And so, you know, going from you know, there was a time where I w- I didn't think I would enjoy running, so I just went running for 90 days. I ran a mile every day for. Um, you know, up to 80 days, and realize, wow, I actually do enjoy running. And now I stopped running, and I go for a walk just so I can move my body and get some sun. And so, you know, that alone has made a huge change. You know, oftentimes, sometimes we feel like, oh, we need to like run a lot, or we need to work out to feel fit or to look fit. And it's not true. I mean, there's lots of studies that even show like 10 minutes of of, of walking can be enough um, over, you know, long-term, you know, cause I'm not talking, I'm, I don't, I never, I don't look for short-term, um, you know, short-term pleasure anymore because I got enough of that when I was in my alcoholism, you know, alcoholism, <laughs> you know uh, that, and that didn't serve me. So everything that I look into is about what can create long-term sustainable um, results for me. And so I think about that when it comes to my physical, mental and spiritual wellness, and then I think about, okay, lifestyle wise, you know, where are the people, who are the people, where are the places and what are the experiences that I'm having that actually bring me a sense of joy and connection to the world and the people around me, you know, your, your relationships are going to be a key indicator of how long you're going to live in your life. Um, and plenty of studies out I'm not just saying this out of, out of, you know, out of thin air, there are plenty of studies out there that show. One of the key indicators of people who live well into their hundreds, (laughs) you know, they, they speak to relationships being the number one thing that has allowed them to stay alive and happy and active. Because when you have those connections, you're more able to handle life and its adversities than if you were, you know, alone and by yourself you know, and so they, you know, they even talk about how having friends can be an immune booster, it can be things that can help people um, recover from uh, grave illness, uh, mm-hmm. you know, your ability to recover from grave illness, such as cancer, you know, increases when you have quality people in your life, you know, and so looking at that as a, as a terms of your lifestyle. Um, and then through, you know, therapeutic practices, I mean, there's so many, there's uh, meditation, there's Prayer. There's journaling. There's uh, getting professional structured support, whether it's through a therapist or or anyone else. Um, there could be other elements of therapy, but like going out in nature and grounding yourself in the earth. Uh, it could be painting, watercoloring. Um, for me, it's video games. Video games is a form of therapy for me as well. Um, you know, there's there's so many things that are available to you that if you were just to try it it may or may not click but that's part of the process of the human experience right you find out what works for you and then you cling on to it you stick to it because it may not be what works for someone else and it may not work for that guy who you who, you know who's super famous and you know uh, has all these things that they offer to you right that you might look up to and and, and realize oh like i want to be like that person they may not think that they may they may say that what you know, that thing might be dumb but if it works for you that's all that matters. you know you want to have the things in your life that work for you and it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks because it's all about you know the results. You know does it make me happy? Does it make me live a happier, healthier life? you know um, And you'd be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I talk about what I talk about because you know oftentimes we think um, video games, you know, when I talked about when I heard when I heard all those things when I was younger about video games being immature and video games being a waste of time. You know, the truth is, you know, a lot of my creativity, a lot of my sense of you know joy and gratitude and appreciation for life comes from when I play video games, you know, and, and ideas and uh, so many fun moments. I'm able to create games to play with my daughter or, you know, be able to understand how to make things better because I have this, this mentality of making things a game. So... Um, It may not work for everyone, and I totally understand that, but uh, I think if we're able to exercise a little bit of exploration and curiosity and wonder, you'll find what those things are for you, and you get to keep it and, and make it your own.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing that. So my last part of the show and the question is a gift that came from adversity. So what would you say a gift that came from your adversity?
1: Oh my gosh. I would say that, you know, the biggest, it's a lesson and it's a gift for me. And that was what I was saying earlier before, you know, the gift has been that happiness, my happiness is the ultimate gateway to whatever life that I want to live. And you can put success there, you know, like I already feel like I'm successful. And so that's not necessarily as important to me. Um, But happiness for me is where it starts. And I know that I was able, I had to go through what I had to go through to understand that that was the gift, that light that I chased after while I was in the dark for that long period of time is that I can be happy by being unconditionally myself. And when I got that and I knew that I can unconditionally accept and love myself, it just opened up so much for me in my life. And, and that has been a lesson that um, I practice every single day. You know, it's, it's it's truly a gift. And it's one that I want to pass on to so many people.
0: Well, thank you very much, Thomas. Um, it's been a pleasure getting to know you. And um, I'm very sorry that you had to go through a set of struggles. And- But at the same time, like you said, without these adversities, maybe you are not where you are right now and you haven't gained this perspective of happiness and how to handle your life. So I'm very proud of you facing all these issues that you had to go through and not so many people are as brave to try to overcome it and try to identify it so, I would say you should be absolutely be you should absolutely be proud of yourself, and know that your voice is important. And empowering people through your business and through your philosophy that you learned is very very important.
1: Thank you. I appreciate you for saying that, and um, I believe I believe that too. You know, this is why I want to share. What I go through to make these type of conversations um, normal, that we can have and, and know that this is just a part of the human experience. It doesn't have to be as dark as it, you know, was for us, you and me. It doesn't have to be that dark for for many people, but we can we can still talk about it and know that it's not just us that have this experience, and that we can see the similarities in in people's stories and and relate. And know that you know we can be examples, you and I can be examples for what it can look like to come out on the other side and the potential of what life can look like when you do. So uh, this is more of me just, uh, giving that love back to you for creating a platform and an opportunity to spread that message so people can hear stories like this and, and know that they're not alone and that they can get through it and that they have support available to them.
0: Yes, absolutely. That's so beautiful, Thomas. And you are my episode 24. And I'm so grateful that I have more guests coming to share the adversity tools and a gift. And I, when I started this show, I wasn't sure who's was going to come to my show. I knew who I wanted to invite. But through this platform, I'm very grateful to have met so many wonderful people, including yourself. I have some comment here. Roll Rounds. Podcast. Love you. <laughs> Thank Jury for the conversation and dialogue. Do you know this person? I do.
1: <laughs> Love you too, brother.
0: This oh, great. Longtime
1: friend of mine. Glad to see that you were on here, man.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for the shout out, and I really appreciate you tuning in. And I am so happy that um this platform is working in a way to normalize the conversation and I just wanted to share quickly I recently wrote a student alliance mental health club story which was born after the pandemic with some high school students Mm -hmm. and I am a journalist and then I've written like over maybe 400 articles and then some um, times I struggle because English is not my first language Mm -hmm. Japan <laughs> and then uh, lead line is one of the um struggle that I have, but then I have this um brilliant um moment that I'm very proud of. So basically, lead line is about 24 words you can say it in one breath and um. My editor usually fix it for me but this one was completely unedited so i just wanted to share it with you and our audience so this is how new group at high school started by students focusing focuses on mental health and then it was published on february 2nd this year and then um this group of students who started this and then they didn't know that who was going to join but they have about 35 members now especially after the pandemic, that they wanted to normalize the conversation around the mental health. So this is a lead line that I'm very proud of that I want to share with you. Normalizing the discussion over mental health and taking action is becoming more of a priority in the state and nation in the state and nationally, especially with increased isolation during the pandemic. So that was my lead line. So oh. Thank you. So my really point of us talking about this really truly is more and more I talk about it, I feel adversity is some of the universal language and the mental health is some of the universal language as well, no matter where you were born and where you were raised, which really needs attention. And the more and more I learn about the mental health and losing some of friends to suicide or, you know, depression, pe- seeing people struggle and then becomes like trafficking victims and stuff that I think more of us who understand this issue and then have eloquency and just like our conversation today moves into dialogues where people can, completely understand that they're not crazy but they have tools to understand and coping skills to overcome it if we have more of us surrounding these issues i think it's gonna get better to navigate this thing called life yeah
1: yeah i i feel like that's, that's so well said you know we it's a we experience you know, if, if, if we can do this together, then the chances are we can get through it. You know, I, I used to believe that I had to figure this out. that I had to figure this thing out called life and emotions and hardship and adversity struggle. And what I, what I see today is I'm only as powerful as the support I have around me physically, mentally and spiritually, you know? And um, I'm so grateful that I get to live a life where I no longer have to say that I feel alone anymore because I don't, you know? And, And that's such a freeing feeling because I know that somewhere out there, no matter what I'm going through, there's someone who either is going through it as well, someone who has gone through it and survived or someone who is about to go through it and I'm just a little bit ahead of them you know and when i see it from that perspective there's always an opportunity for me to seek direction but there's also an, an opportunity for me to give direction too you know my life is not all about me you know i want to be able to share the message and pass it along and be of service to other people so they can feel empowered to do the exact same thing You know, and so when we're able to get people together to realize that they're not alone and that they can have tools and resources and support to go through their adversity, they can then give that gift to someone else who's coming in right behind them, going through the same thing. You know, and that is what I believe is the bigger picture that's possible when we're able to get together and have these conversations and and help people heal. You know, so that's that's one that's a big part of of, you know my mission uh, with the one up effect and and what I'm doing these days too is to create more of these together.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much, everyone. Check out Thomas Edwards Jr.com and I really appreciate your time, Thomas, um, to share your story with us. And um, we're gonna hope that um, this is going to help some people and empower some people. Well, thank you so much again for coming in.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate
0: you. Wonderful. And thank you, everyone, for tuning into A Gift from University. My name is Julia. Love. I'm your host. And we have wonderful guests coming in uh, the month of March and April. I'm booked. And I'm very excited to host more guests like Thomas today. Thank you so much again, everyone. Have a good night.